unaussprechlichen Rampen. My name is Marco Visconti, and through this podcast I will invite fellow magicians, occultists, artists, and mystics to rumble along with them and my supporters on Patreon. By doing so, I hope to introduce you all to a much wider perspective on magic and what we get nowadays from occult social media, which is frankly beginning to feel very stale, repetitive, and uninspired. If you want to be part of one of the next episodes, Join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash marcovisconti by pledging at the Yezod tier or above. And now, on with the unspeakable rumbles. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of Unosprechlichen Ramblen. Uh, this will be, in fact, the final episode of season 2. I really don't know why I decided to divide this in, you know, this this podcast in two seasons of seven and six episodes. But I, you, you should know me by now. I like to complicate myself. Anyway, uh, let's not uh, fuff too much tonight and go straight to the center of of an interesting wheel and maybe finding our way through the help of the witch's compass. Tonight, our guest is. Uh, Ian Chambers, which he describes himself as an author and a witch. Ian is a longtime practitioner of modern traditional witchcraft and folk sorcery. He has received inductions in several traditional craft sodalities and maintains working relationships through the traditional lines of witchcraft. A selection of Ian's writing has appeared in various magazines, including The Cauldron, White Dragon, and The Edge Witch. And he currently work, work and his current works, sorry, may be found uh, at uh, By the Pale Moonlight or at Patheos Pagan, which is a fantastic blog, by the way. You should check it out, and it will be in the show's notes, the link. His first book, The Witch's Compass, will be published by Levelin in August 2022. So, <laughs> in, in a week's time, really, from the time, the moment we are recording. So, welcome, Ian. Uh, welcome to the Ramblin'. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. How's it going? I haven't I haven't seen you I like I haven't seen you in the flesh in, in yeah. several years, right? Yeah, it's been a few years, but then COVID time makes everything a bit weird. So two years is Yeah, it week. feels much longer than that. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. so I mean first of all I would like you to congratulate you with, with your book. It's really, really good. Thank you. Uh, I I heartfelt recommend anyone who's interested in witchcraft and in you know, what's called traditional witchcraft, and I'm pretty sure you'll tell us what, what we mean by that term, to, to grab it as soon as possible, pre-order it now. Again, the link will be in the show's description, and you will not be disappointed. It's a fantastic, fantastic book. Oh, that's what I to say. Thank you. So let's go, let's talk about it a little bit. Um, what is a traditional witch? Uh, and what is the witch's compass? Right? Let's start with simple things. Right? <laughs> let's start <laughs> with a big book. question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first off, I think, you know, I should probably explain a little bit about how I define traditional witchcraft. And I think it's important to say it's how I define it for, for me and how I interact with it, as opposed to saying this is how it is and everybody must abide by it. Because, as you know, it, it, it's a bit of a slippery one that, that isn't able to be confined in such definite terms. Um, so for me, it, it, it's essentially... A folk magic at heart at its basis it, it, it's and when i say that uh, I'm, I'm obviously 
including the remits of, of the cunning folk craft and, and various different forms that have come through, which are fundamentally Christian. Mm -hmm. um, so in many respects, it does retain some of that. Um, but what I'm essentially referring to is the fact that it's, it's of the people, for the people and by the people, as I think Peter Gray said something similar in the Apocalypse of Witchcraft. Um, so it essentially belongs to the people as opposed to the hierarchies of, of ritualized magic. So it's quite raw, it's quite earthy, it's quite dirt under the fingernails, and it, it, it's quite natural and poetic, um, and essentially experiential. Um, so kind of that's where I come from with it. I'm, I'm aware, I, I study history quite a lot, and I'm quite interested in the history of it. So I'm fundamentally aware that it comes from a Christian basis over the last thousand years, in a worldview that is is grounded in a Christian background. I wouldn't necessarily say that if you stopped and asked a peasant in the late Middle Ages if they were Christian, I think they probably wouldn't know what you're talking about because they would just have their fundamental worldview and, and that's how they looked at everything. They wouldn't necessarily say, I, I, you know, I believe in the Trinity and the Nicene Creed and anything like that. But if you suggested that, uh, I, I don't know, Jupiter was the god of all things. They think you were barking mad. You know, they wouldn't have any idea what you're talking about. But to, to kind of not make this a long ramble, it, wait a it, second. It, this is this is called an. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that. I know, I know. Please <laughs> ramble away. Like, that's what we do here. <laughs> well, I could go on for ages about about that, about that particular nuance and the fact that for me it does come from it does come from those parts, but also it's coupled with the fact that it's modern traditional witchcraft. So I'm very conscious of the fact that there's a lot of people since Margaret Murray and Gerald Gardner came out with this thesis of a witch cult, um, which has since obviously been debunked and was even debunked in its time as a, a theory, as an existing thing. And I'm not by any stretch suggesting that it is. I'm not saying there wasn't anything there. I think um, his, historians and authors such as Thomas Atsis has said, you know, the, there was clearly something there people were doing something um and a lot of the times the clerical authors that were recording things would use placeholder names like diana or herodias or abondia when they couldn't understand pronounce or have a, any idea what localized spirit these people were dealing with um so I, i'm conscious that it's coming from this place that there was something going on there were people that weren't entirely satisfied with being told what to do by the church and the authorities but also it's not necessarily coming from a neo-pagan perspective mm -hmm. so it's important to me that we make that clarification because for me i think it is important that we understand that there's a lot of great things that have happened and history is really important it tells us where we are and why we're making the same mistakes all over again <laughs> politically and socially and we're just repeating it but um it's also important that we take it forward and, and what we're doing is relevant to now and relevant to the generations that come through and i think that doesn't get talked about enough well i mean it's you know in the time that i studied magic you know starting from the early 90s up until now like you know you mentioned it like you mentioned like margaret murray and then gerald yeah. Gardner. i mean that those were the names right yeah and yeah. Uh, and you know like ben you start having uh more like modern uh, authors, you know, in the 80s, uh, Scott Cunningham bringing in some new ideas of witchcraft or whatever, you know, yeah. this idea of like this earth religion. But um, 
was still was still were like really tied to the idea that this was an ancient cult that was like you know coming yeah. there was been like this ideal moment where we had like the the witch cult um it, i yeah. think it's it's very it's important that you know we're moving finally at least i mean if, if you read, hope so. read certain things online right you might not <laughs> That's right. yeah. would agree with that but in general we're moving away from the idea that well at the end of the day the witchcraft we deal with we which we practice nowadays it's a modern religion yeah. with, that has roots i would say you know in the past but also in a time immemorial which is a phrase you use in the book and it's a phrase yeah. that you know you hear a lot in well in Masonry, for instance, Freemasonry. Uh, the right, and, yeah. and it's interesting. Like uh, um, I mentioned this idea of the time immemorial, this mythical path in the book that I wrote, and uh, right. it, I was mentioning to you right before we started that you know we haven't yeah. seen each other for a while, but we kind of went to the same places. Yeah, it's almost right. like you know these ideas do percolate in the astral or the yeah, ether, totally whatever you want to call it, right? And then you know go down to various people and try to so what is the mythical past and why do you think that's where the witchcraft comes from well i think uh, well there's a couple of things to 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 say in respect to that i think there's in terms of the, of the mythic past and and how that informs us i think it's really important that that we connect with it the world is we went through the renaissance and we've gone through the scientific revolution it's been fantastic um and i think one of the books i reference in the witch compass is um philip goss uh galileo's error where he talks about panpsychism but it starts from the premise that galileo in order to perform physics and science had to put aside certain things and those included things like the anima mundi the the world soul and this this mythopoetic experience of an enchanted world you can't discuss physics and accept uh, something that at the time they might have called the Holy Spirit or, or the Anima Mundi or well, however you want to describe it. You can't look at particle physics, and for example, and talk about that. So he had to put that aside. And as Philip Goff points out, he had to consciously say, I'm going to put this to one side so I can look at you know, what makes this table wood and hard and how that works. But that's not to say that, that, that this thing I've put to the side isn't in it as well. Yeah. It's just more convenient to look at it if we remove that and science went with that and it's flown ever since and, and we've we've got some fantastic things that have come as a result but also as a result of that we've removed the mythic we've removed the the poesis the, this poetic element of enchantment and we live in a slightly disenchanted world compared to say our ancestors um those are those are some of my thoughts on it at least um, so uh, I, I do talk in the book about panpsychism. I do try and come from a position of panpsychism because um, I studied philosophy at school and I do, you know, metaphysics is, is a really important aspect to me and I need to understand why things are the way they are, not just do this and this happens, that's fair enough, but I want to know a bit of a bigger picture than that, um, which isn't for everybody and that's fair enough. But for me, so pan panpsychism is, is a, a broader umbrella than, say, animism. And yeah. it can incorporate animism within it. But fundamentally, for me, it incorporates things that um, authors such as uh, Henry Corbin, who, who wrote about Islamic mysticism of Ibn Arabi in a very small sect in Persia. Um, it, it's about that, that uh, imaginalist mundi, that, that enchanted spirit that occupies the world. And we can choose to either engage or ignore. And we mostly are flat out ignorant of it and not accepting it in our, in our 
daily lives and our even our spiritual lives quite yeah. often a lot of the you know the church stuff has become pretty moribund and as soon as the church translated the bible out of latin and started performing services in the common language and removed the curtain and showed everybody the priest performing transubstantiation of the host the magic was gone and as soon as so we've got this this difficult situation where science started to burgeon and galileo said you know we, we can't call it magic and look at the physics of it at the same time let for now let's put them aside and then see how they come back together and nobody's ever put them back together yeah so we live in this disenchanted world so for me the mythic is that it's that uh, spark that that incorporates the imagination and the anima mundi and the fact that we live in a um, i was reading a fantastic book by a, a guy called tom cheatham called uh, green man earth angel and he, he starts talking about how um to a lot of these mystics in the past for example they look at it slightly differently so yes we have we have a soul we are part of an individual soul but the, we live in the world that is ensouled. So the entire world is its own soul. Yeah. Um, so you're moving to palentheism and various other ways of looking at it, but the fact that the world is ensouled and that, that we live in psyche means we start to look at it slightly differently. And then we start to edge into animism and we realise that there are many different types of people in the world, not just humans. We're not the only people in the world. There are different levels of consciousness uh, available. Um, and for me, it's tuning into that. And there are certain truths that come through that because they're not necessarily part of what physics might call reality, I don't believe that means they're not real. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I believe that you can have a mythic truth that is as real as a physical truth. But I also feel it's incumbent upon us to be responsible with that and, and not be deluded about that. So the, you know, it's easy to go around down a route of, you know, various conspiracy theorists and people you see on the internet these days, where you can you can funnel that into, um, uh, well, into a psychosis. Well, I mean, um, you touch you touch on a point that's I think fundamental to discuss: the fact that we, as a collective, it feels like we are devolving into constant psychosis like whatever's yeah. been happening in the last few years i would say i mean yeah. i i think i think it's not just the, the years of covid and the pandemic and the lockdowns no. it, it's it goes down much further i mean it's been maybe 20 years where at the same time as we started to engage again with these ideas as maybe we had like our third magical revival since you know the industrial revolution yeah, that's right, uh, yeah. slowly like you know this opening to you know to magic and to spirituality once again well in fact it either went full on commercial i'm thinking about the secret the return of right. new thought you know this difference between like this almost like psychosis that we are devolving into right yeah, like, yeah, yeah. people are people want to engage with the spiritual people want to engage yeah. with mythic but it seems that without solid foundations are unable to make sense of what you, you could yeah. describe it as panpsychism yeah, the idea agree, that yeah. you know we live in we live surrounded by a plethora of other consciousness yeah, we can we, we might not see them. I mean, we, we were discussing on the here on the podcast last um, last episode with Jason Miller. Uh, we might not see this, but they are they are people. <laughs> they are not they are yeah, not arranged yeah. around the body, yeah. but they exist. So, yeah. my question for you now is how how does the the witch's so the, the, a compass right is a tool yeah. that tells you the way. It, is right. the witch is the witch's compass this tool is it can you use it to to make sense of this mythical word and to orientate uh, 
Absolutely, that's it. That's entirely its principal function. I mean, that's that's what it does. It, its point is to um, because, as you say, it, 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 you could look at it and, and say, okay, there's there's spirits, there's there's manifest people everywhere. We're surrounded by what some mystics and poets have called the invisibles. They're there. Um, how do we deal with them? And like you said, we can slip into a psychosis and be quite deluded about it, and, and we end up being schizophrenic and and going down very dangerous avenues. What the witch compass does um, is it establishes boundaries. It gives you form and it gives you points of reference so that you can start to work with those different energies and spirits and, and however you want to call them um, in, in a more classified way, I suppose, in a more understandable way. So you can approach it and not be bombarded with the, the complete utter diversity of, of being hit by you know, a, a rainbow of light in one instance, you, you can lens it a little bit. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's essentially that technology. And like you said, a, a compass is, um, I think I thought I try, I try to go through quite a lot of it in the book without being boring or, or dull about it. But you know, a, a compass for me, it fulfills, I think of two or three functions. It, it points north. So it, it gives us a uh, position. It positions us in the world. So that's the first thing that the compass does. It, it gives us a position within this panpsychic, within this ensouled world, this enchanted world that we're occupying, the other or the eldritch. It, it gives us that direction and, and orientation. Um, obviously, orientation means to point east, but the compass points north. It's, it's magnetic. Um, the other thing it does is it's a, a measuring device. It's a tool for measuring, um, traditionally, um, as a mathematical tool. So equally, the witch compass that can apply to, you can measure particularly the angles um, and the distances between different realms within that world. So now you've started to classify aspects of the inspirited world. Um, and then lastly, it, it delineates that boundary. It's the tool that measures that boundary. So um, it gives you an opportunity to demark it gives you what, what Griffin Kedd, who kindly wrote the, the forward, what he would describe as the a false horizon. You establish a false horizon so that you can then um, engage the things that come into that false horizon, if you like. Yeah. So you, you're working with the direction all around you uh, in both a literal and an inspirited world. So those are the three kind of functions that historically a compass does, but the witch compass does particularly well. Just as a point of interest, the, the word compass itself originates in in latin as you probably know it's, it's a combination of two words to to come together and, and principally to step so essentially what the word really means is to step together and it was used um particularly in the medieval period late medieval period early modern period uh to literally mean that so to compass something was to walk around it so um muslims they compass the kaaba for example there's um an edition of the ballad the child ballad tamlin where Margaret is told how to uh, stop the fairy train and, and rescue Tamlin. Um, and the first thing she has to do is get holy water and, and compass around her. Hmm. Um, that was pointed out to me by Oberyn Cunning, a, a fun, again, a fantastic crap individual who knows his stuff. But it, the word compass was used historically in those contexts to, you know, to, to pass around. What modern traditional witches would perhaps identify as something akin to treading the mill or the traditional witch dances. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's, it's got some really interesting application there. 
So one thing that that those who will, those of you who will read the book, all of you, you should, as I said, I don't know, <laughs> uh, you will they will find in the book that uh, you do mention you do you do name the spirits, right? You, you know, you it's yeah. pretty clear yeah. that you your you you come from a specific tradition, uh, and yeah. in this tradition there's some names there. Uh, what I know, what I really particularly love is that uh, first of all, these names are not what most people will expect to find there. No, they're not. It's very no, different. I'd like, I just, I just want to say they're not when they when they come from a specific tradition. It's not. I don't belong to something like the Clan of Tubal-Cain or the Ked tradition. Um, so these are coming from my own practice, my own experience. And and you mentioned right um, that I mean there are some similarities, for instance, with certain concepts that yeah. we find in Telema. You know, Nuit, yeah. uh, Infinite Expand, Hadith, the Point. Which, yeah. by the way, that is a compass, right? Like that is yeah, that, that, is, a, that is a cosmic compass, if you want. But there you yeah. go, right? You have a point, and you have an infinite yeah. circumference around Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, my point, what I would ask you uh, is, since we live in times where people tend to become very fixated about names and about mm. the identity of spirits, how, how can people get, get, for instance, they get their, your book, right? And they start yeah. practicing what you suggest to practice. Um, yeah. will, they, will, they, will they find their own names? Will they, will they establish their own compass? Yeah. Or will they find the same spirit as you? Or is there any difference at all, right? Um, they will they will find this is a really great question actually so the spirit names that i use are spirit names that i use because i didn't want to use somebody's tradition i don't belong to these traditions so i'm not privy to those those details so it was but it was important to me to use um examples and the best resource is is my own tradition that i work myself you know that i've, I've learned and developed um the second thing I wanted to say was that that was an issue with the publisher. So one of the things that Llewellyn did raise is they weren't entirely comfortable in the first edit with a lot of the names because some of them do hold connotations uh, with perhaps a Christian take on things. And um, I was lucky that they, they put their faith in me and they've, they've trusted me and I think we've handled it. So nothing's been taken out that, that they didn't want in there. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean that, that's that's very that's, that's very good because honestly, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's really progressive. It's very progressive, <laughs> I would say. Also, uh, you know, when I was when I was looking at the at the compass you constructed, mm -hmm. I was like, you know, like this is actually like if you have a little bit of of, of knowledge of various magical systems, like this is yeah. actually really coherent. I mean, and yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, so my, you know, my 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 point that I'm making here is that if if anybody picks up the book, um, I can think they can work. Precisely with with those names, yeah. and, you know, we're not we're not saying the names. You gotta buy you gotta buy the book. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. yeah. <laughs> I will just say yeah. that there is. I was really um, uh, there, there's one name in there uh, connected to Lamas, which is one of the you know the Sabbaths that is yeah. coming up next. Even we're recording, yeah. Yeah, recording yeah. this podcast at the end of July, so Lamas is coming up in a few days, and the name connected to Lamas is the name that I used for myself for a long time. And yeah, I was I like, okay, I, I like that, okay. But, uh, <laughs> which obviously, I mean, it makes absolute sense because it's um, yeah, first harvest, the idea of the psychopomp. Uh -huh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned the fact that you do not, uh, you, know, you do not identify yourself with any uh, established traditional, hmm. um, tradition of traditional witchcraft, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
did you do you work do you work with some of them and do you find any difference between but i mean clearly like the the the, the yeah. starting point of this possibly is in cochrane right yeah that's right and, yeah absolutely and then maybe another big name of course has been andrew shambly but i i always you know i work a little bit yeah. with like witchcraft uh with the Azoetia over the years and i always felt that it's it's very much his own thing. I mean, I I have a very heretical right. idea about Chambly's work. Uh, I mean, work with the Azuetia, thinking that from my perspective, Azuetia is like almost a witchcraft take on Telema. And I have yeah, people I, I have people shunning me for saying this, <laughs> as you can imagine. So yeah. my point is like so you know, given given you know the beginning with Cochrane, the evolution to Chambly, what's what's your take on the the landscape of traditional witchcraft? this day and age today it's an interesting one because it's um without without putting too many words around it and, and polishing it too much it's become um hugely popular it's just become a, a trend and, and whether that's down to TikTok or different social medias i don't know but the bottom line is it's uh, it's really kind of blown up in, in a, a social, commercial, and an aesthetic sense, and it's just everywhere right now. My own theory is that I think um, traditional initiatory Wicca has excluded a number of people for a number of years because it is a tradition of witchcraft that fits into my description of traditional witchcraft quite readily. You know, Gardner did draw from the Solomonic, you know, the, the Solomonic tradition, and he did draw from Freemasonry, and he did draw from Thelema, he pulled all these things together, and that's perfectly acceptable in my book, and that's fine. You've you're not saying it's these things historically, but you're bringing these into a coherent unit, cohesive unit. Um, I'm trying to, yeah. So it, it it's grown hugely lately, and that's one of the reasons that I kind of decided to write the book. Really, so um, there's so many people claiming to witchcraft now and going to traditional witchcraft. I think to exclude themselves from Wicca and identify as being what they're not. And I understand doing that, but I do have a problem when we start identifying ourselves by the things we're not, um, yeah. because we don't look close enough at the things that we are. We've become entirely obsessed with the negative and not with the, the inclusive. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think, well, that's the fundamental place that I've come from with the book. So what happened was I would be, you know, on the internet and on the forums and whatever and all reading all the latest books and stuff. And people would be explaining that they do traditional witchcraft, not Wicca. It's different. And then you would say, okay, what do you do? And they'd go, well, you do a magic circle. And they'd say, no, no, we have a thing called the compass. And you go, okay, great, how does that work? And then they'd describe conjuring a circle and calling the quarters. Which is um, Wicca. I mean, Alexander. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that, and that was the point. And it would get to that point. And, I, and I'd have to say, well, that's fine. You've demar demarked a, a temenos. You've marked out a sacred space. Um, but the compass is bigger than that. The compass is something other than that. You can use it for that purpose, but it, it I think, as I say in the book, and I, I quite like to say, it, it's like equating Malchus with the tree of life. Mm -hmm. you, you've, you've confused the circle with the entire cosmos, and, and it's not quite the same thing. <laughs> you focus on a small bit of it. You know, I, I, like, so, like, it's something that always like made me 
a little bit laugh because as you said, all those discourse that are concentrating on you know the negative, especially when it comes to witchcraft, uh, Wicca. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not a Wiccan, never been. I have many friends in yeah. Wicca. But all my friends in Wicca always told me, especially in Gardnerian Wicca, always told me that, you know, all the various uh, criticism that the, the people level against them, they have no no basis because what they do is completely different, right? Yeah, and it, yeah it's, right. It's so much more uh, maybe shamanic in a way. It's so much more yeah. maybe, uh, you know, going back to to the earth, going back to the, to the kind of... Um, I don't know dream journeys kind of kind yeah. of kind of experiences so anyway like we, we're going places here now we're rambling which is <laughs> what right. we do on this <laughs> on this podcast um i mean that's why i chose the name so we can yeah yeah. yeah that's good uh, i would like to ask you one, one one final question really um yeah again since we have since you know traditional witchcraft at the moment it's so popular and yeah. there's so many people writing about it some will do it with authority some will do it with no authority at all yeah. uh of course your book is coming out and that's gonna be uh that will be i think a very important milestone but yeah, i hope so for those who are interested in in this idea right mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're maybe you know they're they're drawn to an, an earth-based or more you know uh, pan-psychic as you say yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of practice uh, and they want to take on um you know a, a, a witch compass practice what yeah. would you suggest to do what what should they read apart from, apart from your book of course what should they read? <laughs> where, where, where they should go i mean maybe if they're in the uk or in the u.s uh, yeah. are, are there are there groups that you feel like suggesting, you know? Well, there's this, I mean, obviously Shani Oates has written extensively. I've only, if I'm perfectly honest, I've only read um, Two Bows Greenfire and, and I think Starcross Serpent. But, you know, she's holding the Cochrane tradition. So if you want to get the origins of the compass in the modern world via Cochrane, you know, I would recommend reading her stuff. It, it, it's quite salient and, and pertinent to modern traditional witchcraft there's no getting around that um my, one of my mentors griffin ked he kind of really opened it up for me he really put the uh meaning and purpose into the different aspects of the compass and one of the things he's done he teaches classes in los angeles he's british um he was initiated in in uh, i want to say hertfordshire um in the early 70s and since moved to Los Angeles and, and he now manages the Green Man store in North Hollywood. Um, and he teaches classes and I've never seen anybody teach classes on this stuff quite in the way he does, quite so viscerally and, and in the wild. Um, I was lucky enough to attend a Hallow Mass meeting um, and I've never seen so many people working so powerfully um, yeah, it just, it just blew my mind. It's visceral. It's really experiential. And, and he's doing it. He's teaching it to people. He, he's quite adept at, at passing on those skills and knowledge. If you're not in Los Angeles, the, the first thing I would say, and it, it was available here in, at Atlantic Books, at, at, yeah, at Atlantis Books, um, the Ked Tarot. So he worked for about 10 years um, working through Gnostic reception um, and with his partner who, who run the the Ked tradition they received various different aspects of the compass and they managed to build it into a tarot deck and it's not one of these tarot decks where you kind of go well that's nice you've drawn fairies for each of the different suits or whatever you know it, it's there's been some slight adaptation but it works perfectly well as a tarot deck 
um, and the meanings of each card are still inherent within those cards. But you can lay it out as a spread, um, and it's a compass. So you can lay it out literally as a compass, and it incorporates everything from the Telluric realm to the uh, the deacons and the astrology, the moon patterns. It, he's managed to incorporate, and I think if you were to ask him, he'd say, you know, those things are there in the tarot, but you can bring it out and express it in this means of a compass. Um, and yeah, I would recommend people get that deck and work with those cards. And, and, and is it still available? Is it still available? You yeah, yeah. Well, Absolutely. I'll, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll find the link and I'll put it in the description. Yeah, it, it was. It's something, it's, it's, like it said, like, sorry, sorry, please. That's right. I was, I was just going to say Atlantis were selling it. I don't know if they still are, but they were. He launched the color edition of the deck at Atlantis Books. With uh, he did a talk there with Stuart Inman. Oh wow! And then yeah. oh well, Stuart as well, I suppose is. Uh, yeah. We, we should. Yeah. I should get him here. Yeah. At some point. He needs to write his book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. For those of you <laughs> listening, Stuart Inman is. Um, it's a very interesting character. <laughs> He's a yeah. very experienced yeah. magician and witch, and uh, bought me an Ian. We've been bug uh, bugging him to write his own book for it's <laughs> yeah, right. a decade, I suppose. Well, yeah. we'll, see, we'll see what happens. Say so, yeah. Ian, thank you so much for, for this chat on uh, all you. the Witch's Compass and on your book. Uh, tell us where people can find you. Um, well, I'm uh, as you said, I'm a um, Papias Pagan. I write under By the Pale Moonlight. I, confess i haven't written anything in a long time really on there um i try to because i'm supposed to write like some once a week or something like that but things have changed over there a little bit um you can find me on the internet i'm on um facebook instagram various other places and of course you can get the book get the book amazon um all the usual places but i would recommend if you can try to get it through your independent booksellers because yeah they're one of the best things we have Absolutely. Um, as somebody who, who, wrote, who worked there at Treadwell's Books for quite some time, yeah, from that. Once again, yeah, again, absolutely. Thank you so much for being with us tonight, and uh, it's been you. a pleasure. And we'll see maybe maybe sooner than another few years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, thank you, thank you all you for listening to this episode of Unashpreke and Ramblin, and uh, see you next time.